The Dropback with Sam Lewis, Matt Burns Peak, Joe Costanzo, and Sam Wilson. Hello and welcome back to the Dropback Podcast. I'm Sam Lewis and joined today by Matt Burns Peak. And probably more importantly today. Well, but yeah. Um, Dropback legal expert, my cousin, and I'd say most importantly, uh, the Dropback Fantasy Football League runner, oh no, sorry, third place Third playoff. place, thank you, sir. It's Charlie Myers. How are you doing, Charles? Yeah, very well, thank you. Uh, thank you for the intro. I mean, legal expert may be a bit of a stretch, but I guess perhaps um, intrigued mm. observer. Well, I'd say Dropback legal expert, which as the bar goes, is not. It's a low bar. So it's not as much credit all- as you think it is. It's all relative, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, let's get straight into it. We've brought Charlie on because he's reviewed the entire 58-page Brian Flores complaint document. Like an absolute champ. So, I mean, first of all, did you read this with the hopes of coming on or did you just read this for your own personal enjoyment anyway? <laughs> um, I'll be completely honest. It was for just my, for my own curiosity. But once I'd read the whole thing, I thought, you know, might as well. Might as well get a, put it out there that I'd be willing to do it. Share the knowledge. Yeah. So, other than the basics of what's been reported so far, obviously, Brian Flores alleging racism from the NFL as a system and particularly three franchises. What was the biggest standout from slogging through all that documentation? Um, I mean, it's it's quite a remarkable um, document. I think, uh, again, being more familiar with with. Um, the practice of law in England. Um, I don't know if this is how they usually draft legal documents over there, but it was quite um, it was quite sort of fiery uh, in its tone. And I guess, you know, it's an emotive issue, but um, it was more, I guess I'd say it was more kind of Al Sharpton than Johnny Cochran um, in terms of like the sort of all the background that it goes into and, you know, some kind of some quite... Um, Trying to put, put, get find the word for it. Quite sort of emotive language, yeah. um, you know, saying that the NFL was managed like a plantation with the sort of wow. rich white owners sitting above and profiting off the bodies of the black players or whatever. Which I thought was yeah, quite a, uh, a striking image. It's been nationed yet, and that's a surprise I mean, that it's not an Instagram headline. That's a big. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very sort of visual and uh, pretty, uh, like you said, emotive sort of thing to put out there especially in legal document usually i mean I, I don't know but my limited understanding of legal stuff is that you usually do it by the facts right it's usually quite sort of black and white yeah i mean you know usually i guess when you're dealing with kind of big you know human rights issues um i guess there, there is room for that sort of um you know background and context but you know generally speaking you you know, you set out the, you know, the facts and then set out your cause of action as it kind of relates to the facts and draw on the on the facts when you're sort of going through each of the aspects of it. Um, but I think I think it it probably is important in this case because um, there's as compelling a document as it is, there's there's, ve- there's very little sort of direct evidence that you know, any of these sort of proposed defendants have actually, you know, 
committed any racist acts. It's right. all kind of lots of context about the history of racism in the NFL, which again, I, I mean, for any for any sort of fan of the NFL, you know, to read the the actual the really quite uh, disturbing history of racism in the NFL, just reading that hmm. passage will be quite kind of shocking if you're not if you're not aware with it. Oh, excuse me, aware of it already. Um, and so they kind of set that up as the context and then they talk about what they see as kind of the modern day issues of racism in the NFL so um, there's a bit about Colin Kaepernick um, they talk about uh, John Gruden um, or what happened what happened with him and then the the, um, the really quite shocking part um, again I'm not sure if either of you guys are aware of this but the um, practice of race norming when it comes to the concussion uh, lawsuit settlement so wow. um, that. so what happened in in that yes yeah, so, so what what that basically means is there's a, there's a um and again I need to make sure I get this absolutely right but when when they're under the terms of the concussion settlement when they're deciding whether to sort of whether somebody qualifies for a payout essentially whether an ex player qualifies for a payout they basically they need to demonstrate that there's a that there's been a loss of cognitive function of brain function right. um, as a result of um, you know running into other very large men very quickly and sustaining severe head injuries um, and mm-hmm. the, so and what race, race norming is based the premise of it is is essentially that black men on average have a lower baseline cognitive function than white men that's effectively so what it's, it's what really it says and as the, like old-timey views of like american football race norming with positions and stuff like that before you know when, when there was a time when obviously black quarterbacks weren't a thing because people the the assumption was that they weren't smart enough to play that position which is unbelievable and it's almost yeah, exactly to that that train of thought and, the, and and they do they, they talk about that as well in the in the lawsuit as you might expect so the fact that Effect, I mean, I go through a few little bullet points around that. So um, there was effectively when they were trying to sort of build up the NFL in the in like the sort of mid to late nineteen twenties and and the early nineteen thirties, they allowed black players. Um, and ba- but basically, they the, the sort of, well, this is what the lawsuit says that effectively once the league was kind of viable without any. Uh, financially without any black players they kind of banned black players from the league so between uh between 1933 and 1946 there was no black players um in the in the nfl um i mean there's, there's some really striking stuff in there about the um the founder or the original owner of the of the Washington Commanders, as they are now. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm sure this where is he based the week that this the, the name drops <laughs> yeah, out. Wow. Definitely, um, where basically he he sort of um, kind of brought together like a gentleman's agreement between all the other owners that there weren't going to be any black players allowed in the league. Um, and then when um, what he seemed like a really lovely chap, this guy, I think he's uh, George Marshall, he was called George Preston Marshall. Um, when he when he died, he left or before he died, he left instructions in his in his will that they should set up like a charitable foundation from his estate 
but on the condition that it didn't, um, and the wording was, it didn't support or employ racial integration in any form. Oh, what a sweetheart. <laughs> so, what yeah, a lovely hell, fella. Man. Oh, and by the way, he's in the Hall of Fame, this guy. Of course um, he is. So, <laughs> so, um, and then so it sort of takes it from there all through um, even after the league was sort of legally integrated, there was still a sort of slow uptake of black players through the 1950s. And then even right up to like the 1970s, lack of black officials. And they talk about the, like you just mentioned, Matt, the lack of black quarterbacks yeah. right up until sort of um, Randall Cunningham and Warren Moon in the late or sort of in the 80s. You know, the first black head coach was, was until 1989, uh, which was Art Shell. Um, and then even further beyond that, first black general manager was uh, Ozzie Newsom, 2002, with the Ravens. Mm. So Scarily it's pretty reason. extraordinary yeah. um, so, in terms of the history. And all that history, is that included in, in this lawsuit then? Anything? Yeah, yeah. In quite, in quite a bit of detail. I've just kind of paraphrased it um, there, but yeah, it's it's all it's all in there. Is that normal then to have that much background, or do you reckon that's almost like I don't know, court? Don't want to say court of public opinion, but almost like if this doesn't end up or goes to some sort of settlement mm. or drags out over a long period of time, it's like he wants to be aware of the entire history of it and wants everyone to be. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, I think it's fair to say that the, that the document has been drafted with um, public opinion in mind yeah. you know the nfl is like this absolute sort of uh, public institution you know it's the by far the biggest sport in the us um for good reason because it's great um <laughs> but it, it you know and I, and I think it's kind of it, it also ties together you know in america at the moment particularly um since since George, the death of george floyd i mean even before that but more so now, you know, race is like the sort of number one thread that runs through all kind of public discourse. And it's so this is like a sort of absolute box office um, event. And, and as a result, you know, when the lawyers were drafting this, they will have known that all this kind of the detail was going to end up being poured over in the media and all the rest of it. So I think they've definitely um, taken that into account. Yeah. And, in, in terms get, um, of, we're, we're, sorry, sorry, sorry I was going to say, in terms of that as well, just sort of understanding the character that Brian Flores is, and obviously he's been very vocal about these sort of issues in the past as well. It almost seems a little bit to me like just taking into account what you said about you know within the actual claims, there's not a huge amount of evidence that they can pull through. The NFL has that reputation of being a bit of a, a boys' club in terms of you know it's going to be difficult to penetrate and. and beat them in court with with anything do you think they've almost sort of drafted this as like a you know the actual evidence we've got for our claims you know it might not allow us to win in court but at the very least we're going to raise lots of awareness and really draw a, draw an eye to these issues in the public eye yeah i, I mean i think it's it's imp it's probably quite important to say like the the actual um remedy or remedies that Brian Flores is seeking for his from the claim, um, you know. There's, I guess, the you know the easy assumption would be that he's at, that there's a claim for compensation in there, but there isn't. Um, it's he's what he's he's set out 
um, a list of actual um, measures that he thinks the NFL right. needs to put in place to sort of promote the hiring of black head coaches and general managers. So um, it's things like uh, he thinks that there should be um, black players involved in the interview process um, for, for coaches and general managers, which is interesting. Um, and there's some stuff which is just related to transparency, which, you know, I think is, is absolutely fair. Stuff like he thinks that the teams should actually have to give their reasons in writing for why people are um, hired or, or fired, which is, I mean, it's pretty striking that they don't have yeah, to was, do that already. Is that public transparency or transparency to the candidate? Um, I think it's public. I'm, you know, let me have a quick let me have a quick scan down. I'll check for you. It I is think, quite I, weird. I'm not sure if it actually... If you, if you, uh, you know, job interviews and stuff like that, if you've ever been rejected from a job interview, it's quite commonplace to sort of have some feedback as to the reasons why, et cetera, as well. Yeah. I mean, particularly, I mean, again, I can't, I can't speak to the sort of regime in, in the US, in different parts of the US, but certainly in this country, if you're, you know, if you're ever applying for a job with a big corporation, like a big law firm or whatever, they a lot of, I mean, and particularly public sector organisations have kind of blind hiring processes and, um, you know, all very sort of, regimented to ensure that decisions are made like on a fixed sort of scoring systems yeah. and, and all that kind of thing so that it is you know transparent and you don't just have like the sort of um you know boys clubs um, as you put it before mm. um so yeah that that was that was an interesting one um and then he also they also say there should be like a, a sort of training program um, for kind of, they call it lower level uh, black coaches um, who kind of show potential to kind of develop them into, um, you know, the sort of head coaches of tomorrow, so to speak. Um, and then the last couple, uh, pay transparency for general managers, head coaches and coordinators. Again, um, I thought they already had that yeah. just offhand. I wouldn't have known otherwise. Um, and then the last one, which I think is interesting is um, they think there should be like a, a committee uh, for trying to attract uh, black investors in in terms of team ownership um, because they kind of and again I'm, I get a bit uncomfortable with with this kind of thinking but what they say is that in the lawsuit is that because there's no black owners you know that it's less likely that they will hire black. Right. general managers just on a you know on a simple you know using that kind of simple logic which you know that that may or may not be fair but it's not not the kind of um mm -hmm. it's not the sort of thinking that i sort of ascribe to or subscribe to yeah, so um, the other thing that people but, think is the sort of that's sort of capping the growth of the number of black um, head coaches is at the entry level so i think maybe that training program because that's a really cool idea everyone's hiring off on the offensive side of the ball like the vast majority anyway because mm. smart gms are saying right if you want to win in the league now you need to have these offensive guys i think there's something like four black quarterback coaches and all the wow. ocs come from quarterback coaches so if there's only four four black quarterback coaches how many of those are going to get a chance to become offensive coordinators yeah. or play callers how many mm. of them are going to become head coaches so yes yeah, so maybe that training program Exactly right. Mm. And I think the thing is, they kind of, they do, they sort of acknowledge this, this problem that, you know, it, it kind of starts that 
historically there weren't as many black quarterbacks and so obviously as an, as an upshot of that there's not going to be as many black quarterback coaches yeah. and um how, i think how many of those um offensive coordinators and quarterback coaches were actually quarterbacks in the league there were a lot of them like look at the entire McVay tree they're all sort of small school college players, if that. Yeah. It does also hop back to um, just, just going back into terms of people's understanding of American football and within racial profiling and norming previously. Um, for a long, long time in American football, black players were often shoehorned into being defensive players rather than offensive players. A lot of the sort of, I mean, looking at now as like absolutely horrible sort of thought processes and understanding was that that there was a pre, uh, an assumption that black players weren't smart enough to be able to understand offensive playbooks and defensive side of the ball was a lot simpler in terms of go and get the ball and hit the person that has it. Um, so mm. you did see, especially at youth level, and that was something that took a long, long time to sort of rectify, was black players being pushed to, to being defensive players, which obviously then translates as you go up to, you know, the, the, what, those that want to be coaches, well, their only experiences with defense. So then again, you have that sort of perpetuated thing of, you know, no black quarterbacks or no black offensive coordinators. It's sort of been perpetuated through all the way down from sort of youth level for a number of years. Byron Leftwich is the only black um, offensive play caller in the NFL right now, which is crazy, yeah, right? That's right. Yeah, because I think there's, there's three, um, there's, sorry, there's, I think there's four black offensive coordinators. Yeah, but yeah, number like was said, offensive coordinators, not quarterback yeah. coaches. But I think it's even... So I think there's... There's three quarterback coaches, four offensive coordinators, but yeah, there's like, for example, the enemy in, in Kansas City, obviously Andy Reid's the, the play caller there. Yeah. And then, um, and then B, with the enemy, he, how many offensive coordinators that all like, um, what do you call him, the um, Bengals head coach was a quarterback's coach for one year under Sean McVeigh. Yeah. Beca and became a head, yeah. Zach Taylor head coach now. The enemy's been the offensive coordinator for arguably the best offense over the last four years. Mm. And yeah. hasn't been given opportunity because he quotes interviews badly was the reason yeah. that was given for him. Yeah, I mean they, they've um, so there's interestingly they they do so the whole the whole the point of of this action in general is that Flores is kind of holding himself out as the first of a of a class um, for a class action. Yeah. And so, again, for anybody that's that's kind of listening, doesn't know what that means. A class action is just when you have multiple uh, claimants or plaintiffs, as they call them in America, um, all bringing a claim against the same defendants around the same sort of cause of action. Um, so they they actually, um, it's kind of it, it's 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 interesting whether they're trying to sort of court um, some additional. Uh, plaintiffs, or whether they're, they're using this as kind of evidence of of the racism um, that, they're, that they're talking about. There's so there's there's paragraphs on uh, Jim Caldwell, Steve Wilkes, David Culley, um, uh, Terrell Austin, and Chris Richard, and Eric Bieniemy, um, and this kind of you know they sort of go through the reasons that they or the what they see as evidence of racism in the way those coaches have been treated. So. Like Caldwell, um, you know, three seasons as Colts head coach, um, went two and fourteen, and because of uh, Peyton Manning was um, was injured all season, and then he was fired, um, the and then the he goes to the mm. yeah. yeah, exactly. He goes so he goes to the Lions, um, 
a winning record over the course of four seasons with Detroit, which is like you know Miraculous. absolutely yeah. unprecedented. Their best best coach in their history by far. Yeah. Um, and he was fired after a winning season, nine and seven. Um, I mean, the thing is, I mean, if you if you think back to that time, and I remember when he was fired, there was a kind of the Lions at that point weren't viewed with quite as much disdain as they are now. Like they, they, well, partly because of the job that Coldwell had done, mm. but they, it was kind of seen as Coldwell had taken them so far. Right. Um, you know, it, it they'd had a kind of middling, albeit winning record for the previous two seasons and then seven and nine the season before that. And I, I remember the sort of chat being, that you know they need kind of some maybe somebody more innovative or a little sort of change of you know change of uh, a breath of fresh air yeah. to kind of you know push them um into kind of actual actually being a contender yeah i think you're so right I think that's I remember, important i remember there being like the narrative that he was quite a it was quite a dull offense it wasn't really a whole lot going on he's like right he's, he's a very vanilla yeah. team he's got now he's got some really good players in megatron and stafford you could, there's the yeah. argument that the next step is there to be taken and under Caldwell it's sure. not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and look, I'm not, I think my kind of, I'm trying not to let my own kind of personal um, view on things sort of um, come into the analysis too much, but I think each of the individuals that you look at that they that they talk about that list that we just went through. I mean, you know, David Cully is an example. Mm. I mean, he's he, I've never really heard of him before this season, to be honest with you. But apparently, he's been coaching in the NFL for nearly thirty years, mm. um, and he was obviously fired after going four and twelve with Houston this season, despite their. I mean, Absolutely. winning four games with that Houston team, like, yeah. there's no way anyone should be fired for that. Yeah, and to be to be fair, yeah. I don't think that he's necessarily fantastic coach I don't but the point is it does seem like he was just hired to fall on that sword after one year mm. and then when they've got the first round yeah. picks again this year oh let's get let's get a new <laughs> Josh McCown apparently I having mean, never coached yeah. a game like if they go for Josh McCown now that it utterly mm. ridiculous but then Bob McNair their owner has said some I mean worst and questionable things in the past sure. yes indeed I mean, and in that case, the 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 the, um, the amazing thing that that sort of jumped out to me was that um, he clearly led them to the same record that they had this season before, when they had you know one of the best quarterbacks in the league in Deshaun Watson, yeah. um, and then with all of that hanging over them this season, um, he sort of you know they coached up Davis Mills to kind of serviceable quarterback play at times, um, and he's sacked on the basis of what they call. I think they said philosophical differences wow. um, was the uh, was the was the reasoning. Which again, I then suppose goes into the transparency when hiring and firing coaches. Because what does yeah. that even mean? Like it doesn't, it doesn't that's mean so tenuous. Yeah, exactly. I mean, although I, I, I will say, in relation to Cully, um, one that sort of sprung to mind, a comparison that sprung to mind for me was um, um, Jim Tom Sula. Um, when he was 49ers. the Niners coach for a season, and it was it was kind of a similar situation. I think it was post post Jim Harbaugh, mm. and you know, um, or was it? I can't remember if it was was it between Harbaugh and Chip Kelly. Maybe was, yeah, I can't remember. It was between but, Harbaugh and Chip Kelly. Yeah, where he was just kind of this fall guy to sort of you know not really cut out for being the head coach. You know, nice guy, um, just sort of 
you know, took the reins for a year while they were in transition kind of thing. Um, and I he give was, the media you know, he like was... Dan Campbell a little bit less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, you can look at all these individual cases and I think this is the, the, the issue with a, with a lawsuit of this nature. Like, it, it's so it's so difficult to, to prove in general. Yeah. Um, you know, like a, any kind of claim for discrimination um, mm. is, is very difficult in this country or, or in the US um, because the actual the actual hurdles that they need to that they need to overcome in, in terms of the legal standards are quite are quite high. Yeah. Um, so I, mean, I can get into the weeds a little bit like that about, about that just to kind of you know just kind of set out what the why it's going to be very difficult for them to actually like succeed. Quite a loose sort of terminology around that, right? Yeah, you can almost prove malpractice, but can you prove like what the intent behind that malpractice necessarily was? Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you actually, and again, I'm not going to kind of read through the the the, the legislation chapter and verse because that you know I think you, you lose several uh, several listeners over that. But but, but basically, the um, they. The, well, there's, it's quite complicated. So, there's the main cause of action is under the um, the uh, Civil Rights Act, um, Section 1981 of the Civil Rights Act, which is basically a claim for discrimination. So, being treated less favourably on the grounds of race. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's several kind of other aspects to the to the claim under various different parts of bits of legislation. Um, there's stuff to do with what they call disparate impact discrimination, which in the UK it's called uh, indirect discrimination. Where basic, what that basically means is there's a sort of employment practice that, on the face of it, seems neutral, but in being neutral, it disadvantages a certain group on the basis of race, religion, etc. So, for example, a um, an employer that mandates that all employees have to work Saturdays mm-hmm. would be discriminatory towards religious Jews, for example, because they're not allowed to work on Saturday. Right. So that there's a there's a kind of cause of action around that. Um, and this this kind of comes back to what you were saying before, um, Sam, about the kind of uh, quarterback coach, offensive coordinator, head coach pathway, mm. because what the kind of there's a there's a there's a there's a defense that lies in there for, from the team's perspective where they can basically say well you know the the nfl is a is an offensive league as we hear you know ad nauseum these days we need a we need to be an offense first team in order to be a contender so we need a you know we need an offensive minded you know play calling head coach and so you know it's not it's kind of not our fault that we've got this yeah. sort of limited pool to, to draw from. And I think, to be honest, I think there's some merit in that. Um, it co- Obviously, it comes from a uh, a history of racism. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, in terms of the sort of smaller pool of, of black quarterbacks. But obviously, that is going to change over time. That would be, I guess, that would be my kind of assessment of that. You know, there's there are going to be more and more um kind of coming through that that pathway you would expect although i guess um brian flores would probably disagree um on, you know on the basis of what there is in this uh, in this lawsuit but um i guess 
Uh, the other the other kind of important technical point as far as the actual lawsuit is concerned is that um, there was a again I don't very, getting very into the weeds here but there, there was a there was a Supreme Court a U.S. Supreme Court decision um, a couple of years ago. So basically, there was a Supreme Court case uh, in 2020 um, where the U.S. Supreme Court was considering what the causation test should be right. for a discrimination claim. So, in in a in a claim in in uh, in law, cause there's there's kind of different types of causation. Whether it's like um, messing this up um, basically that there's the decision was that uh, a claim for discrimination had to win had to be proved on the basis of but for causation which basically means but for in this context but for the the plaintiff's race the outcome would have been different right okay and that's really and that's really difficult to prove because well firstly because the burden is on the claimant so the claimant has to prove that causation it's not for the defendant to disprove it yeah. if that makes sense so it's not that the defendant has to explain you know their decision it's that the claimant has to prove that it must have been race effectively which obviously when it, so when no, it goes bit... into like head coach hiring and stuff like that is going to be super tough because you can always just be, yeah you can fall back on like they did with eric the enemy he's you know he didn't interview well or whatever or you um, take a yeah. minute, oh, we just really fell in love with this guy during the interview exactly. process. Um, so yeah, it, exactly. it's a losing battle from the off in, in that context. Yeah. Is this case then relying on having people, more um, coaches, join mm. join the class action and to prove some sort of pattern? Would that be what is required? Um, I mean, I guess I guess that they've kind of tried to do that with in, in the sort of factual... Uh, summary that they presented they're kind of trying to establish a pattern um i think it's it, there's kind of there's some similarities to the um to the kaepernick uh collusion lawsuit in in a sense because that in that case and in this case <clears throat> excuse me um in that case and in this case there's you kind of need that smoking gun as they call it in a in this you know in sort of uh films about legal cases you know you need that little piece of evidence yeah. that's going to sort of blow the whole thing wide open and you know it's difficult to see where that's going to come from i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of chatter around kind of if i can put it this way not legally qualified observers where they're saying oh the you know the nfl are going to be terrified when this gets to discovery you'll hear that a lot so discovery in this country, we call it disclosure. It's where you're in a legal claim, you get to a point where there's a <clears throat> there's an obligation on both sides to <clears throat> excuse me. There's an obligation on both sides to kind of turn over every document that they have right. that's relevant to the case. And so, there's I guess you might think that um, the um, something might happen a bit like with John Gruden and Bruce Allen's emails, you know, during, if, the, if it went to discovery, there might be some sort of email that came out that kind of proved the case. But so far in similar situations where, you know, discovery would have been embarrassing for the NFL, they've kind of managed to avoid it. Like, you know, they settled with, with Kaepernick 
before it got to Discovery, for example. Mm. Um, so I suspect, Do you think that's I suspect something go? similar will happen here. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, the, the Flores and his, you know, uh, potential co-claimants, they're not asking for a huge amount, to be honest. Like these kind of... Um, you know, sort of non-financial remedies that, yeah. they, that they've proposed. I, I can, I would imagine that. I mean, there probably will be some co- some more claimants added to it. Um, uh, but you know, the NFL have you know effectively a bottomless pit of money to throw at yeah. any litigation. They'll have the best lawyers that you know that New York has to offer. Um, they'll kind of, you know, string it out with lots of sort of procedural arguments, I suppose, um, and and eventually they'll probably settle it and bring in some new, you know, some of the things that Flores is at, or you know, and his lawyers have asked for. I suspect that's probably how it'll play out. Yeah, you mentioned the smoking gun. Does, I'm guessing the Belichick texts to the wrong person don't quite qualify to that. Does it, does it do anything to show that it was a sham interview at the end and they were only? Using him for the Rooney rule, or does, does it not even cover that? It does also show that Bill Belichick yeah. uses a phone exactly how he'd expect Bill Belichick to use Yeah, when he was talking about Twitbook and all that sort of stuff, wasn't an act <laughs> that was actually yeah. that useless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that, that was kind of um, you know that was pretty uh, sort of salacious, wasn't it? When reading that, I mean, it, it, it's funny. I, I've seen kind of two different interpretations of those of those text messages because I, I don't think it's clear if. Belichick thought he was texting Brian Dable or he knew he was texting sorry it's not clear whether he thought he was texting Dable or he thought he'd read another text that said they were hiring Flores like that's kind of if you read the text that's sort of not clear. Well, he doesn't he um, mention, it could be either. Doesn't he mention us? I heard from the Bills and the Giants. It would be strange if he heard from the Bills that Brian Flores. But I suppose the bit he may have heard from the Bills that Dable's going to be back with them next year. And for, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, exactly. About it that way. Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's probably more likely that he thought he was texting Dable, but I, I don't think it's I don't think it's clear um, either way. I mean, that's that that. Um, <laughs> It, it, the obviously the, the the Rooney rule, you know, broadly speaking, it, I think this incident or this, you know, the the particularly the 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 sort of you know sham interview with with the Giants has kind of shown the the sort of flaw of the Rooney rule. You know, it's it kind of it, it's almost inevitable that if you kind of make, bring in a rule like this, there are going to be it's going to turn it into a box ticking exercise on occasion, um, and I guess that's borne out with the with the um, the lack of impact that it's had on increasing the number of black coaches. I mean, when the Rooney Rules brought in, there was three black head coaches in the league. Now there's one, um, so that that shows that it's not been effective. And I guess you know you can argue that it's not been effective because, I mean, and certainly Brian Flores and 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 others would argue that it's not been effective because the owners haven't taken it seriously and have, you know, just sort of tick the boxes and, and or whatever. Um, but it does kind of, you know, it does show the sort of um, the uh, relative lack of impact that it that it's possible for something like that to have. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, certainly, I think the you know the measures that that, that are suggested in the lawsuit to kind of improve things seem uh, more certainly more positive. Um, you know, instead of kind of encouraging that sort of box ticking exercise, it's it's putting in measures that are going to increase the number of black candidates that are yes. sort of elevated on merit, if I can, you know, if I can put it that yes. way. Not that's which isn't to say that, you know, any that Brian Flores wasn't being interviewed on merit because he was arguably, you know, the top available candidate this off season. No, you know, his work horrified to be honest by and large with with that i mean i certainly was i was fuming i just couldn't couldn't get my head around it at all yeah i mean i guess that that kind of leads us into the uh sort of dolphin specific um allegations which are i mean to be honest with you i i think that those you know the allegations that he's made against uh stephen ross about you know trying to get him to 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 tank effectively offering him money to do so um, that's 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 a huge thing, uh, particularly now the now that gambling's legal um, and all the kind of money that's that's kind of swishing that's around a point, as a result of that. Into that territory as well. Does that make it a criminal um, act if they did find that he did? Was it match fixing? Um, I don't know actually. I mean, it's I I, 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 I suppose so. I mean, it's it's. Yeah, of course it is. Um, it's it's trying to, you know, lose games on purpose. It's result, a, yeah. And it's not a yeah. I, I would yeah. Of course it is. It is match fixing of a of a fashion. Um, I mean, it, it's 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 funny because that you know it's kind of been it, it's a kind of well established thing in in American sports like the in in basketball. It's particularly um, prevalent, um, but the NFL. Whilst I think whilst teams have been sort of seen to have tanked in the past, they would always deny it, and it would and any kind of sort of actual evidence of tanking would have been would always have been looked on very dimly by the other teams and probably subject to uh, punishment. And I think to be honest with you, I think I think Ross, if you know, if there is kind of some evidence brought to bear of that um, of of that kind of behaviour, I think he could be he could be in serious trouble. Um, you know, the the, NF, the NFL sort of owners are a bit of a you know an old boys club, and they kind of circle circle the wagons. But you know, you saw with um, what's his name uh, Richardson, the, the Panthers owner. Yeah, yeah well, it was uh, Tapper's the owner now, isn't it? It was it was. Jerry Richardson, Jerry, yeah, um, yeah, with him, you know, once once there was a kind of really sort of beyond the pale public allegation that was, you know, backed by evidence, they did, you know, kind of orchestrate I would the like, sale of the team. I would like to think that you're right, but at the same time, Dan Snyder is still the owner of the Washington World Commanders now, and amidst the new scandal breaking today have you seen that just before we start recording literally about five no, minutes. No, a, a, what's a new there? woman has accused him of sexual assault during like a team dinner or something uh, right so, well yeah the most unsurprising but yeah i am um, that certainly struck me as as being something that could be uh be, be a big problem for for mr There's ross a thing with um, this, though, um 
Charlie, because in and I, I looked into it a little bit um, yesterday because obviously, like when those sort of allegations, as you said, get leveled at a team owner, obviously that that's bringing the sport into disrepute, and there is, you know, <laughs> lot there would be a clamour if that's proven to be correct for him to be taken out. But in 2016, the NFL owners and Stephen Ross basically came to an agreement um, that if if at some point Stephen Ross was to die or to step away from the Miami Dolphins for whatever reason, the I think it's a chap called something, is it Bush Beal? Basically, his head of business operations for his other sort of business ventures would have first mm. dibs at being at <laughs> being the new owner of the Miami Dolphins. So before it became almost like a live auction as to who wants to buy the Miami Dolphins, this chap, this Beal chap, would have sort of first say as to whether he wants to take that over. So a lot of Dolphins wow. fans are actually worried that, yes, maybe uh, if this gets proven to be correct, Ross is quite rightly kicked out as an owner. Do we just get a situation where this Beal guy takes over control and he's basically, um, you know, Ross's right-hand man and then you get Ross basically mm-hmm. still being the owner but from a slightly distant relationship? Was that signed or just an yeah. agreement between them? I'm not sure if it was signed or, or, or exactly the terms of it. I know that they, the, the owners and Ross came to this agreement in 2016. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess they, um, they're they probably, they're, like you're saying, that's that's to do with if, if he dies or, you know, um, some sort of health issue, I guess. But may, maybe if there, if there was kind of a written agreement around that, I'd be surprised if there wasn't something in there that said, you know, if you kind of do something case. really horrendous, yeah, exactly. you know, then this, and it kind of voids the agreement. Really like, sort, we sort of lose trust in your judgment of who should take over if this is, if you're being forced out. Yeah, well, I mean, you'd hope so, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so it, it, yeah. there are a few things that sort of, for me, are, are quite interesting about this lawsuit. One that I think that, that the fact that it's a class action uh, is really interesting in terms of it does very much feel like a... Um, you know, Brian Flores is, is trying to get other people to come forward and join the cause. And I think that's echoed in the um, the, the remedies that he's looking for as well, right? Like, it's, he's not looking for compensation for him. He's very much looking for changes to the process and, and bringing in means to make it a fairer playing field. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, but with that in mind and bearing in mind how much evidence there is to support some of this stuff and how it's going to be a bit of an uphill struggle with just dealing with the legislation... Do you think that this is only really going to have legs if we do see two, three more coaches joining uh, joining that class act? Um, I mean, yeah, I guess it, 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 you sort of, regardless of how many, you know, how many co-claimants join um, or co-plaintiffs, whatever they whatever they call them in America, that you you you're still kind of up against the same yeah. um, problem of, of finding that crucial piece of evidence. Um, and and the interesting one is if you kind of sort of think back to the that list of of coaches that we went through before of of you know who the who the um, the document sort of lists as examples of, yeah. of discriminatory um, hiring practices. You know, Jim Caldwell. You know, by the time this podcast goes out, he might have been hired as the Jags head coach. Mm. You know he's in. He's down to the last few for that. Um, you know Steve Wilkes. He's he's not in the NFL. He's defensive uh, coordinator at Missouri. Um, Chris Richard. He's defensive backs coach at, at the Saints. Is he going to sign on while he's still employed in the NFL? Um, he's risk associated with that as well. 
he's you know he's he's I think he's I think I saw earlier he's interviewing at the moment for the um for the Colts defensive coordinator job. Um and then you've got Terrell Austin, he's a he's I think defensive backs coach at, at the Steelers. You know, these are all all the people that they mention in in the suit all have a lot to lose at the moment. Um I mean you've got to you got to sort of take your hat off to, to to Flores for really sort of sticking his neck out um because I mean, there's some there's people saying you know he's effectively ended his own career by doing this, and I, I'm 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 not sold on that. I think he, he I think people are sort of saying, oh well, look what happened to Kaepernick. I think that they're, they're very different cases. I think Kaepernick, first of all, his kind of the level of play that he's that he's delivered, you know, most recently probably isn't worthy of being a starting quarterback in the league. And then he obviously has a very sort of specific skill set that doesn't fit with a lot of offenses. You know, he's not 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 a particularly accurate passer. You know, we've seen Cam Newton probably won't be starting in the league next season. And he's kind of a much better version of Kaepernick, I guess. Um obviously different slightly different skill sets, but you know, a strong arm but not very accurate yeah. quarterback who's very good at as a as a runner um and that whereas you know flores he's look at the job he's done the last few years in in miami you know he if it wasn't for this um happening i i guess i, well, I guess he didn't get the giants job did he but he, 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 he's certainly coordinator you'd imagine oh, yeah. exactly the yeah most likely as a head coach somewhere yeah, you know, the, the by all accounts, he was like ridiculously popular with the players in Miami. You know, he was he's always been at the sort of forefront of any kind of discussions on racism. Um, you know, very sort of impressive public speaker, lead and clearly a leader of men, you know. That he was he I think he will probably still coach again, in my opinion. Um but still, you know, there's absolutely no guarantee that he will. Um, and he's definitely, you know, he he sort of says it and um, he said it in his public statements sort of, you know, this is, I've been given a gift to coach this sport that I love and it's done amazing things for me. You know, he grew up in like the worst, most sort of crime-ridden neighbourhood in, in New York, in Brownsville, Brooklyn, um, you know, sort of, immigrants and he's it's sort of you know brought him and his family out of poverty and and you know brought them more money than that than they could have ever you know dreamed of otherwise i guess um and he's kind of putting it all on the line um as a you know matter of principle which you know you can only you can only praise him for yeah. that um so but yeah, the, the, the challenge is, is always going to be the evidence, um, you know, proving that he, that him or any of his other co-claimants would have been treated differently if they were white. You know, it's it's, it's very difficult to prove yeah. that. Yeah, and then the, the third piece of evidence that he gave and sort of an example from his career was that Broncos one with Elway and the other owners turning up dishevelled. And did he, in the lawsuit, did he say that they were drunk or is that something that snowballed through social media? Yeah, it says it in the it says it in the uh, in the lawsuit. He it, he said it was clear they'd been uh, they'd been drinking um, and they were an hour late and it was a it was basically a sham process. I mean, the, the interesting thing about about the Broncos is that they've 
they've issued quite a quite a forthright denial. They've said absolutely not. You know, there was five of our executives were there. It started promptly at half past seven in the morning. We've got detailed notes. The, the you know the interview went on for three and a half we hours, and we've got all of our analysis. Yeah, so I mean that's that's an interesting one. Um, I mean it, the the thing is if if you know if the if the Broncos have you know good evidence to back that up, then it's you know I, I suppose I mean it's only kind of um, one aspect of the claim, but I guess it could it could draw his uh, the sort of broader credibility into question. I suppose if they kind of produce you know some hard evidence to back up the denial, um, but. Yeah, that, that that part is interesting. I think the, the the difference in the responses from the different teams is is quite is quite interesting as well. Like the, I mean, the NFL was just like a blanket denial. You know, the, the claims are without they said the claims are without merit. You know, say, is, we're committed to that, diversity. And, is that a normal response from someone that's had a lawsuit filed against him to say there's absolutely no evidence straight away, or was that was that especially knee jerky? Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not um, I don't think it's that unusual, um, but it, 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 in the sense of, you know, as a lawyer, you, you know, you ask your client, you put the allegations to your client, your client says that is an absolute load of rubbish, then, you know, that's what you, that's what you put out, I suppose. Um, I, I guess the, it's, it's a bit unusual in this case, because it's such a sort of complex broad claim relating to sort of systemic issues it's like well you know if you've not examined yeah. the allegations in detail how can you instantly say that it's without merit that was the thing wasn't it, it? Um, half an hour yeah. that there was absolutely no evidence a lot of people on on sort of social media quite rightly were like well how can you be sure they, they've been like I said yeah. 50, was it 56 58 pages page document outlining all this stuff and straight away you're like nah yeah Nothing there. Yeah, yeah I mean, they barely have time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> barely time to read all the yeah, pages before before putting that out. But yeah, that so that that was interesting. Um, and then the, the the giants were a bit more sort of low key and kind of like sort of shrug of the shoulders. They were like, you know, we're we're happy with the process that we went through. Mm-hmm. We think we've got, you know, we've got the right man. Um, Flores was in the conversation right up to the eleventh hour, which I guess contradicts what Bill Belichick's text message yeah. said. Um, could you, from the um, Giants' point of view, be like, right, they, they scheduled the Brian Flores interview in perfectly good faith. They then interviewed Brian Dable. At the interview, like, yeah, this is the, right man. So this well. is the right man for the job. But obviously, because of the NFL rules, they had to keep that Brian Flores interview in place. There. It's not necessarily the Giants in the wrong. But, like, again, go back to the Rooney rule, maybe is that a bit causing sometimes more issues than it's worth? Yeah, I think in that that case is that that example is um, it's an interesting one because you know it's a kind of, it seems to be a pretty um, sort of broadly held truth in the NFL that you want a, a coach and general manager kind of singing from the same hymn sheet who are work, who work well together and all the rest of it. So once once the Giants have hired Joe Shane to be the GM, you know the natural appointment is Dable and. You know, Dable fits. It, it, you know, it's very difficult to say at this point that Dable 
is not a good hire, you know, on the face of it. I know that often these hires appear good in first instance and then, you know, go tits up. But, in reality, no one has you know, ever it, what makes a good head coach. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, exactly. But at the end of the day, Dayball's done an amazing job, you know, um, building an offense around a mobile quarterback um, who's obviously considerably more talented in, in Josh Allen than, um, than Daniel Jones. But I guess, you know, you might not have said that after Josh Allen's first season. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's fair. So, yeah, it, it's difficult to set, to criticise the hire in and of itself. But, um, you know, for you, for Flores to have received that, that text message, you know, um, not a nice. Way I think to it was that. like I was going to say you couldn't, yeah. you couldn't really understand where the where the grievances come from there. Like you would be at, you yeah. would be absolutely pissed if you got that. Yeah, yeah. He, he must have hit the roof when he when he when he saw it. I mean, he just it was just a reply to Belichick. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Bill. <laughs> you could you could feel the anger behind those words as well, right? Yeah, yeah. just call him coach yeah. all the way through the conversation. Like, thanks, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean that 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 is um, just the very fact that, that Belichick would would be privy to that information yeah. is really was really strange to me. It's like, yeah, I get it. You know, he's like always have he's always gonna have this link to the Giants. He loves the Giants and all the rest of it, but he's also you know like had rivalry in with the Giants yeah, over right, the years with, and, and like. I just don't. And through the Bills as well. It's like in the division. Why are the Bills? Yeah, within. It's almost like. A yeah, within the same division. Window into the whole sort of, you know, the thing with people saying that the, the NFL is a bit of a boys' club and it's very cliquey. The fact that Bill Belichick is privy to that information yeah. sort of backs up that that view a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's inarguable. You know, you always there's always these, and again, the, the I can't sort of pull an example off the top of my head, but. I mean, look at, you know, Kyle Shanahan, for one. You know, obviously, he's arguably the best offensive play caller in, in the NFL. But, you know, would he... Is there... Any, there's absolutely... Well, I say there's absolutely no way. It's, it's doubtful. So so early in his career, had his dad not been exactly. like Shanahan. Yeah. And exactly. And Sean McVay probably but, wouldn't have gone a staff in Tampa if his dad wasn't mates with John Gruden. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, uh, you know, what's Belichick's son now? Is he what? Is he like the special teams coach or something now? Yeah, it's it's you know it's rife. Um, but at the same time, you know, nepotism is one thing. Race, racism, racism is another. You know, nepotism in and of itself is not evidence of racism. It's just nepotism. And at the end of the day. You know the the NFL are it, teams are privately owned businesses who can hire whoever the hell they want, um, but they are subject to um, you know laws around discrimination. And that's but the fact that they are put their private companies they can hire whoever they want, and so that's why it's such a high uh, threshold that they have to meet yeah. to successfully argue discrimination. They need evidence. Of racial, you know, motive effectively, um, which is, I mean, what, what, what can you, what could you find? You know, some like email from John Mara to, to Belichick saying, "Oh, we're not hiring that black guy." Yeah, exactly. you know, it's it just, not, be, it it's never going to gonna happen, is it? As clear as that, right? Yeah, because yeah, you know, the, the fact is, the 
you know, Flores and Dable are like two very different, you know, if you take race out of the equation, let's say, you know, we are the giants. Our plan is to try and uh, develop Daniel Jones into the next Josh Allen. You know, what's the best way of us doing that? It's not hiring a very good but defensive-minded head coach. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's not going to be the best way. With a young quarterback in his previous job, whether true or not true. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, look, I think br- broadly speaking, it's um, it'll be a good thing if... It brings about the sort some of the changes that that Flores has 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 outlined, and I mean, I guess hopefully, you know, it will kind of sort of start a proper dialogue around it, um, and bring back those sort of positive measures rather than the sort of you know the Rooney Rule, very well intentioned, obviously, um, but a kind of a bit of a blunt instrument, yeah. whereas you know doing it. To be fair, they've, they've changed, yeah, changed they have. to two um, minority candidates for head coaching and one for yeah um, coordinator role. But like, yeah, is it, is it going to actually change? Much? Yeah. But the thing is, I think what you know, if if I was um, you know Kwesi Adofu Mensa, just been hired as GM of the of the Vikings, you know, I would be saying, you know. Uh, bollocks to the Rooney rule. I was hired because I'm an outstanding candidate. candidate. I've been, uh, you know, right-hand man to, um, oh, where was he before? I can't remember where he was before now, but the the GM who he was sort of serving un, as number two to yeah. was asked, you know, what what does this guy, Adolfo Mensa, bring to the organisation? And the, the GM said he brings everything. You know, he's, he's, he's involved in everything. He's, you know, the guy was, he's, um, he's an Ivy League graduate. He worked in finance, you know, really high achiever, great sort of head for data, all the rest of it. You know, he is an outstanding candidate for general man- for a general manager position, regardless of his race. So, I mean, that, I guess that's the kind of, that's the kind of argument against stuff like, you know, the Rooney Rule. Um, you know, these outstanding candidates will rise to the top on the basis of merit. Um, and, yeah, it, I, that's not, obviously, that's not to say that there's not been discrimination. I'm sure there have been, you know, hiring decisions where, whether they whether they realised it or not, an NFL kind of ownership or hiring committee will have unconsciously dismissed a black candidate because of a you know, an unconscious bias against black men. Like, I'm, I'm sure that's happened. Um, but, you know, I think the, you know, the sort of, the, the sort of public relations and public discourse around race these days is so kind of um, vehemently opposed to that kind of thing. That, I mean, I think... I, I, I doubt it happens to any great extent these days, but maybe it does. I don't know. I'm kind of rambling a bit here, but it, it's. It, I guess it's just it's all kind of a long, a very long-winded way of saying that it's a, it's a very sort of complex, multi-tenanted, multi-faceted issue that you know, you know, race may or may, may be a component, but it's not the only component, exactly. and. 
that's what makes the claim itself so difficult as well. Yeah, and it, it may be that the um, NFL come come and say, look, we don't think that anything has gone on here. You can't prove it, but we think your demands are reasonable, and we yeah. will work to install these in some way, some shape or form. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the end result here, because like I said, it's going to be so difficult to, without any doubt, re- validate these some of these claims and 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 get the evidence needed to be able to say without any reasonable doubt that yes there was racism in this decision but my hope is that if that is the case at least the because i think a lot of the measures that that flores and his lawyers have put forward make a lot of sense i think the the thing about getting feedback as to why they've chosen you over a different candidate or vice versa is absolutely something that would make sense and give that transparency um my hope is that if if this you know doesn't end up going you know if, if lawyers and co don't end up winning the case at least some of those measures can be introduced in the interests of giving it more giving that process and moving along in a more progressive fashion yeah i mean it, it, you know it's something that um it, it's an issue that we that, that even in the nba hmm. you know there isn't the the black coaches are, you know in the nba which is you know known as the sort of the progressive american sport on this kind of issue um you know they there isn't a kind of um i think it's i think it's broadly similar in terms of the percentage of the of the players that are black in the nba as it is in the nfl i think it's about 75 percent in both yeah. um but you know the nba i think it's something like it's, it's, it's less than half of the of the head of the head coaches are black despite which is obviously considerably better than the NFL in terms of the um, percentage, but it's still not, I guess you could argue where it should be. Um, and, you know, look at the, um, uh, you know, uh, football in, in our, in this country, you know, that there's, it's an, it's an issue that's been discussed at great length. Um, and so it's a problem. It's a problem here as well. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, I, my, my view is it's it's better to have these kind of positive measures like like, like are outlined in the lawsuit um, than uh, you know something like the Rooney Rule as well intentioned as it may have yeah. been. Absolutely. All right, I think that's probably a whether whether to leave that bit in or not. I don't know. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be fine. I think there's so few people that are going to listen. It's not it's not the biggest issue in the world. I mean, let's swing it positively. Can you get a, can we get a quick um, Super Bowl preview? What, what do you think is going to happen in that Super one? Bowl preview? Yeah, prediction even. Um, well, I'm kind of, I'm kind Sorry, of. Sorry, I realise you've done a week in... prep on this whole legal case, and now we're making you do a and full analysis. Has the Bengals' last performance? <laughs> it was yeah, well, look. I, I um I'm I'm kind of invested in the Bengals because yeah. of um because of because of having uh, Burrow and Chase on my fantasy team and also um there's the uh, again I, I don't know how if you guys are, are current or former listeners of the uh, around the NFL um, mm-hmm. there's the whole kind of Chris Wessling uh, aspect to it which is kind of a yeah um, yeah. Um, I have always listened to, to around the NFL and you know, he that was his team and that's kind of a sort of poignant thing since he died yeah. for them to go and win the Super Bowl. It's silly that that, you know, somebody I, I don't know and have never met would, would kind of provoke that kind of response. But it, yeah, um, but more I think I'm more invested because of, <laughs> of my fantasy team. <laughs> so I would love the I would love the Bengals to, to do it. Um 
I guess the natural, the sort of gut reaction would be that that the you know the Rams' defensive line will terrorise yeah. the Bengals' offensive line, but that didn't seem to matter in the in, in the last in the conference championship game. You know, Burrow takes you know a ridiculous amazing. amount of hits, and then just you know it just doesn't really matter. He just makes the plays anyway. Yeah. Um, so it's difficult to call. Very difficult. It's to a call. bit of a head versus heart situation, I feel, because every every part of like having watched these two teams this season and just the talent levels of the two rosters makes me think that the Rams surely it will win the way that these two teams stack up with their strengths and and weaknesses. But then the Bengals have been such a good story this season, <laughs> and they're so far ahead of where anyone thought they would be this season that it's almost like. Surely the narrative is there that they're going to win it. They're going to go all the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think you know, there's kind of um, there's kind of like a couple of feel good stories on the on the Rams side as well. You know, Stafford or to- yeah. toiling away for all those years with the Lions. Um, you know, finally getting a getting a proper crack at it. You know, um, after sort of getting through, you know, having the useless Jim Caldwell as his, uh, <laughs> as his new coach. But um, <laughs> um, obviously joking. Um, but um, you know, there's you know Odell Beckham, lovely guy, you know, humble, hardworking fella, <laughs> finally getting his crack at the. At the, uh, the Super Bowl as well. It's, it's um, such an absolute nightmare for Cleveland Browns fans, isn't it, Charlie? The, God. Their biggest biggest in-state rival and mm. the guy they chased out of town are in the Super Bowl in the year that they were supposed to be the AFC contender. Yeah, it's quite typical uh, typical Browns. It's it just uh, it, it, this uh, this is why I'm a Browns fan because there is <laughs> there is just such parallels to being a Leeds United fan as well. Like the just the inevitability that something ridiculous will happen uh, just when you think you've got something good going but yeah um i mean i, I don't really i don't really have anything against beckham um, as a browns fan i think there's 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 kind of uh technical reasons why he him and mayfield aren't, aren't a partic- weren't a particularly good match mm. from from what you know smarter people than me have said you know um which so yeah i guess no hard feelings yeah. there. Um, On that one as well, Charlie, you know. with uh, with Mayfield, big decision coming up for the Browns in terms of is he the the franchise guy? Where do you stand on that? Um, I think it's difficult to say. I I, I, um, I mean I have this I have, I have this debate with uh, with Tom, who's also in our in our fantasy league, who I, who I work with. He's very anti Mayfield. Um, I'm I've always been. I've always been a, a believer that he could be a good QB, but this I think this season he was he was injured. Uh, I think it, 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 I don't think he, you can really get a proper appraisal of of, right. of his sort of viability going forward as a starting QB from this season. Um, so, but then it's it, the problem is with the in the NFL you have a window when you've got like a good roster on kind of you know with a viable sort of salary cap situation before some of these younger players need paying yeah. um i guess it, certainly if it if it didn't work out with Mayfield this season then next summer uh, will be in will be in the market i think i mean i think if um if if there was a uh, an Aaron Rodgers move in the uh, 
in the offing, I think I would take it. Um, I think, you know, I don't see why the Browns don't have the... Yeah, I don't. I don't see why the, the Browns don't have the capital to go after to go after him. Um, I'd, I'd chuck in like four first round picks for for like you know th- two three years of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, certainly. yeah why not? Yeah. Why not? Um, but yeah, uh, it, it, this season was was me- very disappointing to say the least. Yeah. It, it promised so much, but you know, Garrett's turned out to be everything that everything that we hoped he would be when he was drafted. Um, and you know we've got a decent O line, got good, you know talent all over the all over the field. Really, just yeah, maybe uh, Baker can healthy year from Mayfield. I think that is where the two camps are. Really, it's like oh Mayfield's bad, or let's give him another chance. He was banged up to hell this year, so we'll be interested to see how that plays out next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, did, I remember hearing some chat like during the season. I can't remember now exactly what the injury was, but it, it was one of these kind of quarterback um, gurus in the media. It was like Dan Olovsky or Carson Palmer's brother or someone like that was saying that this I, particular so injury that... Was Carson Palmer's brother. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, um, it was... Um, one of them was saying that this particular injury that Mayfield had, it, although it, wouldn't, it didn't sound like it would... Have that much of an effect? It actually really does, you know, because of whatever. I can't remember what the reason was, oh, but I'm reserving judgment. Yeah, I mean, maybe I think the bigger issue was that he just panicked every time someone came near him, which again could be a a repercussion of that injury. But we'll see. We'll see next year. We'll see you next we'll year. We'll see next yeah. year. All right, I think that does probably bring us though to the end of today's show. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you check out all of our social medias at The Dropback on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, thanks to Charlie for coming on and yeah. explaining a big old document and probably all the reasons behind that as well. I mean... It was my pleasure. Um, I must plug for all the all the millions of listeners, um, my, my wife will tell me off if I don't mention her. Um, for anybody listening who, has a, who is pregnant or has a pregnant partner uh, in need of hypnobirthing uh, instruction, um, you've got to look up uh, hypnobirthingwithcolette.com. She's, awesome. yeah, the best hypnobirthing coach about, in my opinion. Love it. I, I bet we, I bet <laughs> you put a bet on the beginning of the year for a collaboration between the drop back and hypnobirthing. <laughs> you would have come up probably along the last semester winning the league that year. Yeah, true. <laughs> but I've yeah. been Sam. I've been Matt. And until next time, goodbye. The drop back with Sam Lewis, Matt Burns Peak, Joe Costanzo, and Sam Wilson.